This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions for raising kind, successful, well-adjusted human beings and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive, accepting place now and for future generations. Everybody, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 35 of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. In this episode, I am going to talk about food and specifically how you can help your kids develop healthy eating habits. So, there's a couple of reasons that I am going to cover this topic, mainly because when you are talking about ADHD or autism or other things that can impact sensory regulation that can definitely have an impact on the different textures and tastes that someone prefers when they're eating. Another reason is because when you are thinking about attention and focus, it is important to make sure that someone is well-fed, getting their nutritional needs met, And when you have sensory issues on top of issues with attention, a lot of times it can be kind of a chicken or egg debate. And you probably already know that sometimes making sure that everybody is eating so that they're not hungry during a time that they need to be attending and focused can be a challenge. So I wanted to offer some tips and some shifts in the way that you can start thinking about eating if that is something that you want to work on. And if you are a clinician and you want to offer some helpful advice to some of your clients who may be working through some things, this will be helpful as well. Because a lot of times when people are thinking about food, they are doing it in a way that is unproductive and can actually cause more harm than good when it comes to helping kids develop healthy eating habits and also just having a positive view of the eating experience. Now, before I really get going with the content, I wanted to say that you'll notice there is a theme with a lot of what I will recommend. I'm definitely a big proponent of providing structure in the day so that there are clear expectations and boundaries. A lot of times creating that structure up front can make things a lot easier and can help to minimize some of those arguments or points of confusion that come up during the day. So creating that structure up front and developing good habits can be really powerful So a lot of these things I'm going to recommend are going to be things that I would recommend doing in that context, because a lot of times you don't have to resort to bribery and arguments to get your kids to make healthier choices if you do provide some structure up front. But that does require some organization on your part. So I'm going to talk about some things that you want to think about when you're doing that. Before I get going, though, I wanted to mention that I will be talking about a 
resource that I have just created for my listeners called the Simple Family Meals Guide. What it is, is a six-week plan to help you start creating better eating habits in your family. And the way that I do it is that over the course of the six-week period, I walk you through some small changes that you can make week by week so that it doesn't feel overwhelming and so that you can create sustainable changes over time that you can actually stick with. So to get access to that simple family meals guide, all you need to do is go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash meal guide. Again, this is something that is special for podcast listeners. It's not something that I have had available before now. And the goal of this program is to help your kids start eating healthy so that they can be eating foods that support healthy brain development and focus. All you need to do to get access to the Simple Family Meals Guide is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash meal guide. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash meal guide. Let's get started with the discussion on how to get your kids to eat healthy food without requiring you to do some crazy fad diet that's unsustainable or without having to constantly bribe them to eat their vegetables and things like that. So I will start out by saying that if you are a parent of a child that seems to be a picky eater, especially if they have sensory issues, that is definitely not something that is going to be a quick fix overnight type of a thing. That is something that does require patience and persistence and structure as far as structuring the environment in a way that allows them to be successful. But it definitely is possible to make changes over time if you are consistent. Now, before I get going with the recommendations and the the shifts that you can make in the way that you think about food and also the way that you think about eating habits, I wanted to say that the advice I'm going to give you today is not meant to be thought of as a magic cure for anything. So let's just get that on the table right away. I don't like the word cure because when you are talking about populations such as autism, there isn't a known cure. And a lot of times when you talk about treatment for those types of conditions that involve some type of different neurotype, so someone who is wired a little bit differently, we don't want to think about it as you're broken and you need to be fixed. What we want to do is we just want to figure out how do we help that person lead a life that allows them to be successful? How do we help that person do the things that they need to do in order to be healthy and successful? So when I'm talking about diet, I am acknowledging the fact that Yes, if you don't eat the right kinds of foods and if you don't have those good eating habits, you haven't acquired a taste for different textures, it does make it harder to get the nutrition that you need. And that can definitely impact 
the way that your brain develops and the amount of energy that you have. And that can impact how you function across the board. So these things that I'm going to recommend today, they're not going to be things that are this magical wave your magic wand kind of a quick fix thing, but they are going to be things that can have an impact on your level of functioning and that are good habits to get into. So I wanted to make sure that this was not taken the wrong way when it comes to that. The other thing I wanted to acknowledge is that as I recommend these structural things, if you have kids who just, for whatever reason, maybe they just haven't developed a taste for a lot of things, there are certain people that are going to respond more easily to things that are just basic changes in the structure of your environment than others. So for example, some kids, for example, neurotypical kids, they can respond in a different way when you just create simple changes in habits, whereas people who have a lot of sensory issues might need a little bit more intervention. So these things that I'm going to talk about today, some of these changes in your environment, they're going to impact you differently depending on the way that you're wired. Some people might respond really well to these things and be able to completely rework their diet from just some simple changes in habits, but some people might need a little bit more intervention. For example, they might require you to work one-on-one with a feeding therapist, for example. So I definitely did not want to present this as any kind of quick fix But I will tell you that if you are in a situation where you do require some additional one-on-one intervention, they are going to be recommending things similar to what I am going to tell you today in order for you to be able to get the most out of that intensive intervention that you're getting. So these are things that you're going to need to do and that are going to be beneficial regardless of the level of support that you need. So Regardless of where you stand, you will be able to find this useful. And I say all of these things because there are so many fad diets out there and things that are presented as magical cures. And I just wanted to set the appropriate boundaries there that anything I say today obviously should not be used as a substitute for medical advice, but rather things that you can use to help your home be more organized when it comes to eating. Because this does require a lot of executive functioning and planning on your part if you are the person that is providing the meals. So the shifts that you can make that I'm going to recommend today are really focused on three key areas. Number one, the concept of eating as a skill that needs to be developed over time including acquiring a taste for things. The second is a shift between positive feedback and positive reinforcement, as well as positive reinforcement versus sensory breaks. So that second shift is going to be all about shifting your thoughts on the role of positive reinforcement in eating, because it's commonly used and it's commonly misused. So that'll be the second thing. And then the final thing that we'll talk about is social reciprocity and critical thinking and how you can work 
those skills into your meal times as well. Because these all go back to a lot of the executive functioning skills that I talk about on the show so often. So let's talk about the first shift, which is the idea that eating is a skill. A lot of times as adults, we might multitask while we're eating. So for example, it's common to see people driving down the road, shoving their breakfast in their mouths as they're commuting. Or we might see people kind of walking around their house eating something or a very common thing, which is just that you park yourself in front of the TV, sit down on the couch and eat dinner, for example, which again, if you're an adult who has developed a broad palate, you have healthy eating habits I wouldn't say that this makes for the best eating experience, but it's probably functional enough. I know that a lot of times people who are thinking about, you know, figuring out how to make the most of their mealtime so that they feel full, a lot of times it's recommended that you don't multitask while you're eating because you do feel fuller and you tend to be less likely to overeat when you're actually paying attention to your food. So I would even recommend as an adult that you don't do a lot of these things that require multitasking. It even can make an impact on your digestion if you are trying to shove food down your throat too quickly. So I recommend in general for people that you have a dedicated mealtime. But if you are an adult who has pretty good skills as far as being able to physically manipulate your food in your mouth. And if you have a lot of different tastes and textures that you're able to tolerate and you eat a lot of different foods, then you will notice less of a difference than you would for a child who has not, number one, developed the motor skills that they need to handle certain textures and who has not acquired a taste in order to be able to tolerate those different textures. Those things are skills that need to be developed over time, but a lot of people don't realize that. If you are an adult, for example, and you are eating while doing something else, most likely what you're able to do, even though it's not an ideal situation, because you have developed automaticity with being able to manipulate your food, chew it, swallow it, clear your mouth, you're able to do one thing and do another thing at the same time. So you will probably be able to safely clear all of that food out of your mouth without getting distracted, even if you're doing something else like watching TV, for example, or walking across the room and doing something else. But I have observed on numerous occasions when parents will give their kids a snack, but not require that they sit down, not create a space where it encourages them to sit down. And then they get up and then they go and play and they're running around or they're watching TV. And I've seen on multiple occasions that a child will get distracted and they'll still have food in their mouth. And they'll be looking at something else and they'll kind of forget what they're doing because, number one, they're still developing the motor skills required to chew and manipulate that food. And because they're getting distracted, they're kind of forgetting what they're doing. And so I've seen kids just sit there and hold food in their mouths and that can cause a number of issues. Number one, obviously, there can be issues with oral hygiene 
if there's food that is left in your mouth for an extended period, you know, obviously with, with tooth decay and things like that, it can cause issues there, but then it can also cause a choking risk. And what can also happen is just that the habits needed in order to safely clear food from your mouth, you're just not developing good habits around those types of things. So while I don't recommend anything extreme like strapping your child into a chair and tying them down or something crazy like that, and I say that because I know people who have done things like that, but what I do recommend is putting away all distractions and just making it easier, creating more structure and expectations in the environment where it's everybody sitting down and eating. Even if you have a child who does like to kind of stand up and needs to move, maybe they sit on a chair that allows them to wiggle. Maybe they're allowed to stand, but we're keeping everybody in that eating area. And there's a clear distinction between, okay, we're stopping this activity to go over to this activity over here. And there's a clear transition as opposed to You know, we're just shoving food in our mouths while we're doing something else. So having that clear separation between one activity and another so that you can focus on one thing at a time can be very important. And again, when you have somebody who's older, who has more automaticity with those skills required to just chew and manipulate food, you don't necessarily notice the issues as much as with a younger child, but it's so important in those early years when they're learning to eat different textures for them to have that dedicated meal time and to create that environment where you've got a dedicated time to eat dinner or snack or whatever it is, as opposed to kind of multitasking and doing multiple things at a time. Now, if you're driving in the car going somewhere, that is something that is probably a common occurrence where kids are allowed to have snacks in the car. And that is probably something that could be okay as long as toys are put away while the food is out and things like that. There's ways that you can create structure around that if you do have to eat on the go. But the main thing is that you want to minimize distractions as much as possible and encourage doing one thing at a time because what that's going to allow you to do is focus on, again, one thing at a time. You want to think about it like this. Eating is a skill. And being able to chew and manipulate food and also have that awareness and just those experiences of just all those different textures, because it's something that does require some mental energy and focus. And we just don't realize it when we're older because it's so easy to us. It's so automatic. But that's not the case for someone who hasn't developed those skills yet. But you want to think about it like... It's not recommended that you have the TV on and all kinds of things going when you're doing homework. That's a common thing that's recommended. You want to minimize distractions because it is an activity that requires cognitive focus. Well, so is eating, but we don't often think of it that way, but we want to shift to thinking of it that way because that is something that does require energy and focus. And if you want your kids to develop healthy eating habits, it is a good habit to get into to have that dedicated eating time and minimize distractions. This includes also not having tablets out, not having toys out and things like that. If you can minimize as much of those distractions as possible, that is going to help you to create those healthy boundaries. Now, 
with the sensory input thing, and especially if you have kids who have aversions to different tastes and textures, you don't want to just automatically expect them to totally change their eating habits. But what you can do is gradually encourage them to get out of their comfort zone over time and do it in a way that, again, encourages them to challenge those boundaries and expose themselves to different textures, but in a way that isn't too extreme. So one way that you can do this over time is just gradually exposing them to something. So if they have something that is extremely aversive to them, I would not start with that. I would start with something that is a little bit out of their comfort zone that might be similar to things that they eat, but they haven't started eating it yet. So one way that you can do that is, again, you've got your dedicated eating time. You've minimized the distractions. It's it's quiet and it, it's an ideal situation where they can focus on what they're doing. And then maybe you give them some things that they're used to eating, but then you put a little bit of something new on their plate and you just put it there and you see what they do with it. You don't force them to do anything. You don't issue some punishment if they don't eat it. You just put it there and maybe they don't touch it, but you just keep exposing them to it over time. And what you might find is that eventually they might play around with it a little bit. Eventually they might take a bite and spit it out. And over time, as you are offering those options, then what can happen is that they do tend to explore a little bit more than they would have if you hadn't presented that to them. It takes, for some people, can take up to 20 exposures to a different texture before you acquire a taste for it. So a lot of times just providing that opportunity or providing a little bit of structure as far as the choices that are available to eat can go a long way with expanding your palate. Of course, if there are severe aversions, you want to make sure that there aren't any allergies and acknowledge that if you have someone who has significant sensory sensitivities, that's something you want to take into account that does often require some more intensive intervention. But for a lot of people, structuring the environment can make a big difference. What I wanted to shift to talking about now is positive reinforcement and rewards, specifically when it comes to how we should and should not use it when it comes to meal planning. So the the most common thing that I have seen being done that isn't necessarily the best way to do it as far as helping kids to grow up to have a good self-image when it comes to food is the common, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not going to get dessert. So really a strict reward punishment type of scenario. And there are a number of different problems with this. And the main thing is, is that it's not really teaching kids to develop good critical thinking skills when it comes to food. Because if you think about that scenario, it's okay, your reward for eating the healthy food that fuels your body is that you get to eat junk food. That's It's kind of messed up if you think about it. And the reward for eating healthy food should be 
that you feel better, that your body grows, all of those things. There's obviously way more to it. And it does make it hard if you have a young child who can't necessarily future pace like that and think about that. I know a lot of adults that have a hard time with the discipline for that specific thing. So when we're thinking about something that is just a very superficial reward punishment type of thing, we're really robbing kids of the experience of thinking through that and creating those healthy habits early on. So what I wanted to do is just recommend some shifts that you can make in that type of thinking. And if you do have kids that are are having a hard time to think about just internally, so have that internal monologue with themselves about, about eating and food specifically, and to make it a little bit more tangible and concrete. So what is effective in making changes when it comes to eating habits and when it comes to just making healthier choices is documentation and data. There are all kinds of apps that I know adults often use that have you journal the things that you're eating and and it has been shown that people do make better decisions when they're keeping track and when they're documenting what they eat. And Where I have found this particularly helpful for me is not from a standpoint of I'm trying to reduce things that I'm eating, but more from a standpoint of I need to make sure that I'm getting enough of the good stuff. So how I do it specifically is that I make sure that I eat enough protein and that I eat enough vegetables. Those are the things where I just want to make sure that I'm eating enough of those things. I don't necessarily try to reduce anything else except for the obvious things like alcohol and junk food. So what you can do for kids is that if you are going to do some type of chart, I know sometimes people do almost like a behavior chart of, you know, you get a sticker for finishing your dinner. Well, cleaning your plate isn't necessarily always the best habit. What we want to do is we want to figure out, okay, what are the healthy things that we should be eating? And let's make sure that we're eating enough of those things. So if you did want to do some kind of a, something that was a little more structured to keep track of how we've been eating, have we been making healthy choices, you could make some kind of a chart or something like that to just document what we've been doing. Like you could even have some kind of a chart where it's, let's draw the vegetables we ate tonight. Let's draw the protein that we ate or or whatever it is that you want to help them to get them to eat more of. So if you wanted to do it as kind of a data collection and let's look at these things that we're doing and keep track of how we're doing over time. Looking at data can actually be very reinforcing in itself because you can look back and see how you're doing. People like to see, hey, I'm making progress. I'm getting better. So if you look at it that way and you wanted to do some kind of a system like that in replace of positive reinforcement, that would be a better way to do it because it's making something that is intangible like nutrition more tangible for kids. So doing something like that in an age-appropriate way could be beneficial as long as it's focused on the positive things that you want and it's not something superficial because doing something like that would help kids to think about what they're doing and explain why they're doing what they're doing as opposed to just strict 
reward, punishment, which is more focused on control and compliance. What we want kids to do is be able to develop the critical thinking skills that they need to make better choices over time and to learn ways that they can be more disciplined and structure their own environment so that they're making good choices, not something that's imposed on them like a lot of those behavior charts are. So if you're doing it from that standpoint of just making things more visual, making things more tangible so that you can see progress over time, that could be a lot more beneficial than what a lot of people do, which could be things like, you know, you get a sticker if you finished your dinner or you get dessert if you finished your dinner. And having dessert is fine as long as you're getting the good things in. What this allows you to do is to focus more on positive feedback and specific feedback versus positive reinforcement. Kids, especially if they have ADHD, a lot of times it can be hard to have that internal dialogue. And a lot of times those kids are getting so much negative feedback on their behavior that it can be really hard to keep going with things that are challenging. So they really do benefit from specific positive feedback on where they're doing well. And if you have data like that, you can say, hey, we've been doing a really good job eating a lot of different fruits this week, for example. Or, hey, you've you used to eat the same things over and over again and you ate something new this week. That's great. We've you know, we've learned to eat something else or we've been really consistent about whatever it is. You're giving them some specific positive feedback versus just something generic like good job or just rewarding them for something from the standpoint of trying to control their behavior versus helping them think about their behavior and make the choice for themselves. The final shift I wanted to talk about before we wrap up today is the shift to, again, critical thinking and also social reciprocity versus forced compliance and forcing certain rules on kids with regards to mealtimes. So what I mean by this is that a lot of the intervention for People with ADHD, autistic people is focused on getting them to comply to a certain set of social rules that are often focused on neurotypical standards. Now, there is value in teaching people how their behaviors might come across to other people and how they might make other people feel. Where it becomes problematic is when it's just presented as This is the way we do things around here. When you think about mealtimes, just think about how different it can be from culture to culture, from geographic region to other geographic region, or even between families. So trying to teach kids a specific set of arbitrary rules about how you have to behave around mealtime can be kind of challenging, but what you can do is teach a set of boundaries that allows kids to think about how their behaviors impact other people. So for example, in my house, one of the things that I learned growing up, again, we had kind of a boundary of we all like to sit together at mealtimes a couple times a week because this is the time that we get to spend together. That was kind of an unwritten rule that we all understood, 
But the reason that we all understood it was because we knew that it meant something to us. We knew that it meant a lot to the other people in the room if we would sit down and spend time with them. So in that particular case, I didn't choose to engage in that activity and sit down in my seat and attend and focus to my family members because I was getting some kind of a sticker or reward. I did that because I cared about what the other people in the room were feeling and thinking. So when you come up with the rules around mealtime, it shouldn't be presented as a, again, reinforcement like you're going to get punished if you don't do something a certain way, or these are the rules that you have to follow or else. But the way that it could be presented is, all right, when you act a certain way at mealtimes, for example, this is how it makes me feel. And allowing kids to have some kind of critical thinking process where they understand the impact of their behavior on someone else. I think one of the most common things that comes up with kids is that because they, if they're not involved with the food preparation, if they're not involved in buying the food, there's not as much of an appreciation for what it took to get that food on the table. And so that is one of the most common areas where I would recommend getting kids involved in that process so that they can have an understanding of the impact of their behavior. For example, the understanding that it might make their parents feel bad if they're always complaining about the food and refusing to eat the food and things like that when their parents are working hard to put that food on the table. Again, sensory differences, we always want to take that into account when people refuse to eat things and offer grace when there are things that people are working through. But anything that you can do to talk your kids through that process and help them to understand, again, that social reciprocity, that give and take of what is being done in order for that food to be given to them and what needed to happen for that to be there can be really important. And any way that you can get your kids involved in the process of preparing food can really help with that. So that way you are helping kids to understand the process and have an appreciation for it and just have an understanding of how the world works. Even just getting kids involved with buying the food so that they understand, oh, this is how much money this costs and this is how many hours you might need to work in order to make that much money and things like that, especially if you have older kids who might be thinking about working or who at least might be able to understand math and how those types of things work. And if they don't yet, you can still get them involved in that process in some way, in a way that's age appropriate. But That is a good way to get them involved in the process and help them to buy in to things that you might be working on at mealtime in a way that's not just focused on getting them to comply in the moment with some kind of external reward that really isn't something that mimics how the real world works. So I would encourage you to think of it that way. So to review, the things that we talked about today were, number one, that eating is a skill. 
So we want to set our environment up in a way that enables them to build those skills. And just remember that some things that come easy to you and to us as we have developed a broader palette might not come as easily to kids who are still developing those skills or even people who have not developed those skills yet. There are a lot of adults who are still working through some sensory issues as well. So just keeping that in mind and structuring your environment accordingly. The next thing is instead of thinking about positive reinforcement, thinking about positive feedback and data and ways to provide that specific positive feedback to show improvements as opposed to just strict compliance, positive reinforcement versus punishment types of things. And then finally, creating that social reciprocity, which often eliminates the need for things like bribery and punishments and things like that, because it does help kids to understand how the world works and to have an appreciation for the process and just have an understanding of what it took in order for them to be able to have the food that they're getting. So I would recommend these types of things to structure your environment and just thinking about these things as a way to shift your mindset when it comes to thinking about mealtimes and helping your kids to be more flexible with regards to the types of foods that they eat. For those of you who want a structured plan for creating healthier eating habits in your kids and in your family as a whole, I invite you to check out the Simple Family Meals Guide. All you need to do to check out the guide is go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash meal guide. So in this guide, what I lay out for you is a six-week plan that will allow you to expand your kids' palate and to encourage them to eat food that will support brain development and that will help get them to be more adventurous with food without you needing to bribe them with dessert and junk food and things like that. When I work with parents and educators who are supporting kids that want to develop things like executive functioning, one of the first things that I recommend that they work on is just creating healthy eating habits because if you have a child who is hangry, then it's going to be really hard for them to be attentive and focused during the things that they need to do. And it is possible for you to create some structure in your environment and make some small changes that go a long way. It doesn't require you to do some kind of extreme diet. You can actually make a couple simple tweaks over the course of the next month or so that will get you set on the right path. And I show you how to do that in the Simple Family Meals Guide. So just go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash meal guide, and I will show you how to get access to that six-week plan. Again, that's drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash meal guide. Before I wrap up, I wanted to remind you that it helps us so much to get this information into the hands of people who need it. 
if you share this episode with them. So if you know someone that wants to help their kids develop healthier eating habits, then definitely share this episode with them. It will obviously help them out and it will help me out as well to get this information into the hands of as many people as possible. For now, we'll wrap up in the next episode, in episode 36. I'll be continuing this conversation about how to help kids develop better eating habits and how to structure your day so that it's easier for you to help support them in the process. So stay tuned for that. But for now, thank you so much for listening and I will see you in the next episode.